Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. Excellent book illustrations. How much do they really matter? Exploring this question with me today is my good friend and blogger, Amanda Knapp. There is no one like her for emotional veracity. Amanda is not a very visual person, and I am. I have stories about how just illustrations have really made a difference in me. This makes the conversation very interesting. We're also going to be discussing what makes illustrations great. We're going to be discussing what role beautiful illustrations play in a child's emotional life and imaginative development. I hope you enjoy this conversation and I hope it inspires you to nourish your child with excellent pictures. Amanda Knapp, welcome to Bright Wings. Thank you for joining us today on this conversation about book illustrations. Amanda, you have a loyal following of the blogging that you do but your readers have never heard you speak in your own voice. And now your readers have a new way to connect with you. Amanda, can you tell us about your writing? I started writing in 2011, I believe, when my second daughter was really young. I had just had my first experience of natural childbirth, actually. My first and only experience of natural childbirth. And I felt really capable and empowered. I had been wanting to write for a long time for most of my life. And finally, I sat down and I just started a blog. During the early years, I was mainly writing about my role as a mother. Over time, that's evolved because as children get older, it's harder to write about your mothering experience without infringing on their privacy. So I still write about mothering a little bit. Um, Now, I write mainly about faith. I'm Catholic, so I write about life through a Catholic lens, my own experiences through a Catholic lens, reflections on that. And I also went through a long period of time where I wrote a lot about anxiety and depression, and that will still show up on my blog every now and again. So I guess it's a mix of my life as a mom, as someone who struggles with anxiety, and also as someone who's trying to see the world through a Catholic lens. That's really wonderful. I never knew that you started blogging um, from this experience of empowerment. Like I have just given birth to another human being and I could start a blog now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I can do anything. <laughs> that is awesome. I didn't know that. And I should say um, the blog's name is Indisposable Mama. I got that name to speak about the things in life that can't be thrown away and that are more meaningful and indisposable. So it's indisposablemama.com. Beautiful. And I think you're on Instagram lately. Yes. What's that? Yes. I just started an Instagram about a month ago that you can get the link for that through my blog, but it's my username on there is Amanda Mr. Knapp. K-N-A-P-P. And I started writing, I write on there almost daily, just short little reflections, nothing long and in-depth like I would on my blog, but that's where you can find me daily and also on my Facebook page, which is Indisposable Mama. Um, Everything I post on Instagram is transferred over to Facebook, so you can find me on either of those. Great. Thank you. Now, 
Today we're going to be discussing book illustrations, and you have described yourself as being a not very visual person, to say the least. Can you talk to me about what your relationship with visual material is like? To be honest, for the longest time, there almost was no visual material in terms of my reading. If you ask me to visualize an apple, it's going to be very difficult for me. If someone tells you to imagine being on a beach and the sand and the sun and the sound of the waves and all these things, you have the words in your mind, but you don't, you're not coming up with a a picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's super interesting to me. I wouldn't say I have no imagination because I cannot visualize things, but I feel like I can experience the things emotionally. Yeah. So if I'm reading a book, Charity and I, we read together the picture of Dorian Gray. I hated the book because I was able to really identify emotionally with the characters. And so I, maybe it's an emotional imagination, maybe, Yeah. where... I feel like I am interacting with the story. I can guess what the characters would do or what I would do, but I can't, I just can't visualize it. And picture books have not helped me. If anything, they are a crutch because I don't have to think of my own. But part of it's also temperament. Has this changed for you? More reading adult fiction myself, I think. And just knowing that not everybody thinks the same way I do made me question how I think and made me try to, it's not something I spent conscious time on, but I would occasionally try to visualize something. Even when I would read with my children for the longest time, we would be reading the books and I would just be flipping through the pages and they'd be trying to slow me down sometimes so they could see the illustrations. And I would just be flipping right past them, not even registering really in my mind. The importance of the illustrations for them and for the book. Embarrassed to even admit that at this point, but no, but it's never. super interesting because <laughs> not all of us are like you. No, and I didn't know that until about 15 years ago. I thought that's how people were. But Charity, one thing I noticed when I was listening to your first podcast, you were talking about the importance of beautiful illustrations. And it made me think more about why they're important. And when I was preparing to speak to you today, I just went through our house and grabbed the picture books that have been our favorites over the years for all four of my kids. Ironically, they all have, maybe not ironically, I think there's a reason for it. They all have beautiful pictures. I didn't take out the Cinderella gets a blue dress for her birthday from the Prince book that one of my children did like briefly. I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't know if it's because my children liked the pictures and then therefore I enjoyed the books through them or if subconsciously I did know there was an importance to pictures, but I have a stack of 10 to 15 books in front of me and almost all of them I would consider done exceptionally well in terms of the pictures. So maybe it was a little bit more important to me or at least it was important to my children even though I didn't recognize that. Interesting. Well, and even if it wasn't important immediately to you or consciously to you, they were, you were able to follow their interest. Maybe the pic, maybe beautiful illustrations. This is something to test, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of test out, but I wonder if beautiful illustrations pretty much always go along with good writing too, which you have been very sensitive to. 
But you were at least you were you mean you were being sensitive to the fact that these books were your children's favorites. You know, whether yeah. or not the pictures mattered to you, apparently. Yeah. Have you read Blueberries for Sale by yes. Robert? Yes. Okay. That was my eight-year-old's favorite book for probably at least a year. She was probably maybe three and a half. I don't remember how old she was, but every single night she would bring this book to me. And the pictures are very well done, not necessarily my taste, but I could still tell that they were well done. What got her was the pictures of Little Bear and Mama Bear actually looking at, it's like the drawings are looking at the people reading it. And she would crack up almost crying. She was laughing so so much over these illustrations. And she liked the story, but um, it was really the pictures in that book that got it. And so if she didn't have that reaction, I don't think I would, that book would have even crossed my mind in terms of illustrations, but it became yes. a favorite of ours because it brought her so much joy. And she still talks about that book, still remembers it, even though we haven't read it probably in quite some time. Just very basic. They look like drawings with a pen. Or yeah. something. Uh, yeah. But then there's also at the end, there's this little girl, Sal, and she's making a mess in the kitchen, which is another <laughs> thing. <laughs> My eight-year-old really liked her overalls are hanging off her shoulder and she just looks a little like what my eight-year-old looked like. Yeah, totally years. real life. It's classic, a little bit more free range in the 50s. Her mom is mm-hmm. busy doing what she needs to do and doesn't mind her child wandering off. And, and I think still talk about that because just a couple months ago they asked me if we could can berries for the winter and ah. <laughs> laughed we go to the grocery store in the winter we don't need to can the berries but they remembered that from the book and they make a joke out of it now actually quite frequently canning berries for the winter <laughs> um, what other books are important have been important to your family what have you noticed about your daughter's response to them I told my daughters that I was going to speak with you today about the pictures and books. And I asked them what was important. And they basically had no answer for me except detail. They like you detail? Met? Yes. And that was yeah. my 11-year-old and my 8-year-old who said that. When we think about looking at beautiful art in a museum, how long do we spend looking at a painting? Mm-hmm. But. Beautiful illustrations help us and help our child to recognize the beauty in the world and in themselves. I was thinking about what you said, what you just said about how we, how much time we spend looking at art in an art museum. It reminded me of these two books I was reading to my three-year-old recently. We have this, it's called S's for Santa. It's an ABC book, but it's by this, it's called a baby lit book, which to be honest, I'm not entirely familiar with it, but the illustrator is Greg Paprocki. The illustrations, while aren't old, they all look like they're more mid-century. And so each page, it's like most alphabet books, will say I is for ice skating, J is for jingle bells. And she can sit there and take a look at these pictures and really get into them and point things out and say, you know, and there's so many things she can just sit there and stare at, which is what I think toddlers do when they see books. I'll see my kids, you know, my very little kids reading books sometimes. And sometimes they're mirroring what they heard and repeating what they heard, but a lot they're just staring at the pictures. And that same day she had in her room 
think it was a Disney numbers book and it was one kitten, two balls, three rubber duckies, whatever it was. And there was nothing else. They were, you know, a blue ball with about a purple stripe and three very common looking kittens without much detail. I wanted to see what her reaction was to it. And so we read it and she just kind of okay, and took it and put it away and grabbed another book where there was no interaction. There's no sustained attention Correct. with it. Yeah. She wasn't yeah. lingering over it in the same no. way as she did and, the Pep Rocky book. Yes, and she's three, so she wants me to just read over and over oh, and over neat. again the same things. And that just, we recently got The 12 Days of Christmas by Dan Brack. That book it's not super short. So when it's eight o'clock at night and you still have homework to do with other people and the toddler's asking you to read this book for the fifth time, it gets a little exhausting. But these pictures are extremely detailed, just like all of hers are. Right. And there's the multiple stories being told, you know, that most Jan Brett books have. And she would just stare at them. My older daughter, sometimes my eight-year-old, but usually my six-year-old, would come in and she would be trying to tell me what was going on on the sidelines because it made her feel intelligent that she could figure out kind of the secret that's hidden in the pictures. I mean, I'm packing that book away with our Christmas books until next year, but I think if I didn't, I could imagine us reading it nonstop for the next year. You know, we think of like Mickey Mouse or exciting things that kids watch. And this book has partridges and turtle doves. There's nothing, there's no monsters or dinosaurs or anything exciting. They're just birds for the most part. But they're so <laughs> there's a lot of birds in the 12 Days of Christmas. There are. Yeah. <laughs> I never realized how many birds there are in the 12 Days of Christmas. But that was one that was important. And another one I had brought out, Do you, are you familiar with David Shannon? I'm not a fan of all of his books, but he has two. One of them is Duck on a Bike. And my oldest two children loved these books. I have the Duck on a Bike right in front of me. And what it's basically a bunch of children go into this farmhouse and all of their bikes that they were riding are left outside. So all the animals, there's a cow and there's a sheep and duck and mice and all these different animals are riding on their bikes. And the pictures, I think, are very realistic and they're very detailed and they don't look, you know how a lot of children's drawings look like they were drawn for children? and. I don't know that children actually appreciate that. Right. They want to be taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I always love these pictures. And they're silly pictures. You know, a picture of a cow riding a bike is... But they're kind of drawn in a more serious style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like a real cow would look like. They're not purple. You know, they have the detailed <laughs> lines. But he's riding an oversized bike and there's two pigs riding a tandem bike and the goat is eating the bike's basket. The pictures are really funny and my kids would want to just stare at them. And at one page, again, all the animals look at the reader and they have these huge shocked eyes. My kids just thought that was hysterical. For children and illustrations, if there's something going on in their brains akin to what goes on in an adult brain reading, undergoing 
an experience of deep reading where you're making connections, you tune out the outside world. There's a sense, there's a kind of timelessness when you're in this really immersed experience of reading deeply. Mm -hmm. Marcy's Dogman of Well-Read Mom, you know her. I was hearing her speak at a conference and she was talking about how what's going on in your brain is totally different when you're experiencing deep reading than when you're, say, scanning Mm -hmm. a document, like scanning something, an article on the internet. Okay. I wonder if, for children, mm-hmm. I wonder if details draw them in and make the experience immersive. Mm-hmm. You were saying your three-year-old had this slowed down, more contemplative experience with mm-hmm. Greg Paparaki's ABC book mm-hmm. versus ABC book. I wonder if there's something going on in a kid's brain that's like what happens to an adult when they're in this I, deep reading. I would say I can't obviously speak to the what's going on neurologically, but I just, and I do think that's true. If you think about kids with picture books and I was just watching my three-year-old staring at a book again for quite some time this morning is it's a language they can participate in on their own. When you're reading a book to them, they're dependent on an adult to read to them. You know, they can't do that on their own. However, they can speak the language of the pictures. And I think that's why they get so excited pointing out things to me that they notice in pictures because they can feel like the expert because they can see it and they can figure things out. I don't know the exact progression that children go through when they're reading, but I always have heard that at one point they do use the pictures to tell a story. The better pictures you have, the better they're going to be able to do it. And I think that's why kids, even if my kids will gravitate, my little, little kids will gravitate towards something like Mickey Mouse or Cinderella on a book because it's something that they know. And I think Disney and others like Disney do a very good job of capitalizing on the fact that kids' brains are drawn to bright, simple colors. So my kids will see them and they'll want them. However, it doesn't satisfy them. And I think maybe that's fine. I think maybe it's fine that my kids go into a bookstore and will want to pick out those. And I don't try to discourage them because I want them to know. I want them to feel like they have some control, some agency over what they read. But I feel like if we're giving them a steady diet of good things, them occasionally gravitating towards the kind of the junk food, they're going to learn in time that that's not what is going to satisfy their desire to yeah. connection. I share a story with you about the little drummer boy book. Yeah. This is a Jack Ezra Keats book. I thought of the little drummer boy because I heard the song all my life and I hated it. I'm always a person, listen to the song, listen to the meaning, the words. It didn't really matter how it sounded, but for that song, I didn't listen to it. All I really cared about was the lyrics, but for that song, I could not. I couldn't stomach it. And then I heard someone explaining the little drummer boy and what the theme of it is that it's about taking the little that you have and offering it back to the Lord. And there's like a glory in that, I think, in not having enough, but 
giving authentically. And so there's this always this disconnect between, for me, between the song and the lyrics. And so then I found out that uh, Jack Ezra Keats did a picture book of the little drummer boy and we got it this year. And that's another one. My three-year-old would not even let me finish the last page before she would go back to the first page and ask me to read it again. It could go on four or five times in a row before I would finally put it down. Are you, are you familiar with the pictures of Keats? He wrote like, he, he Snow did Snowy Day. day. I, remember, I know yeah. that. They're not exactly like in a snowy day, but it's still a little bit different. And he was never my favorite illustrator. And I can't say that these pictures in The Little Drummer Boy are beautiful in the sense that I'd want to hang them on my wall. Maybe other people would. But they're very, very insightful into the feelings of the characters. You can see the little drummer boy and his fear and almost shame when he doesn't know what to do. He feels like he has nothing to offer. Yes, his emptiness. You know, I think, I could be wrong on this, but I believe at one point he's holding his hands out like I have nothing to give. Then you see the wise men come in and there's actually four of them. I believe one is a woman. I could be wrong. It's hard to tell in the illustration, but I've spent a lot of time looking at those because I recently read about how the wise men, some say they represent African, Asiatic, and Caucasian, you know, the three different groups of people. And so I would spend time contemplating that. And then at one point, one of them is giving a gift to Jesus and he's, you know, laying out looking longingly. You see a chalice next to the manger, a chalice and a crown symbolizing Jesus. And you see the boy's joy when he gives. And I think that's part of what my daughter likes because she will stare at these pictures. And I think one of the reasons we read with our kids, one of the biggest benefits is that it helps develop empathy in them. And that's what I think the little drummer boy does for kids. My three-year-old's a little too young to get everything from it, but it it lets them participate in the emotional experience of events that they'll never actually partake in. And they can't do that orally. I can't explain this to my three-year-old, but she can see in the pictures. And I remember when- Oh my gosh, say that again. She can participate- she can participate in the imaginatively oh, through yeah, the illustrations yeah. in in uh, a way that she wouldn't be. A, she, she can experience things through the illustrations that she couldn't experience if you would simply explain the same thing to her in words. Yes, I can't say the little boy felt shame. <laughs> My three year old would have no idea what that meant, or felt maybe not shame, but insufficient. Or um, at best, I could say he felt sad and. But she can look at the pictures, and I think that even at three, and she's a young three, she just turned three, they can tell the difference between a sad and a story because someone dies. They can tell the nuances in emotion in well-done pictures and more of the breadth of emotional experience than they could in any way through words. And I think, I don't think that's just three-year-olds. I think that's still six, seven, eight. So they have the vocabulary to really express emotionally how they feel and not even just the vocabulary until they can 
psychologically understand their feelings enough, I think the pictures are probably going to do a better job of conveying those things than words ever will. Maybe by the time they get to middle school and they're able to read more complex books and they're mature enough to read more complex books, that probably changes. But I also, as my 11-year-old who was instantly said it was detail that made it important. So I don't know. I think good Det- children's yeah. novels appeal to adults. I think good children's, good children's picture books will appeal to all ages as well if it's well done. Tell me something about Jan Brett. She's been getting a lot of press lately um, on other podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) I love how much color and detail she uses. And I think they're really beautiful. Tell me what you like about them or what your children like about them. I like about them just detail. Personally, and this is just very specific to me, I like that she includes knitted things in her work sometimes. Yeah, that's that's true. I really enjoy looking at that. I don't know if my kids would even really notice that. But yeah, I think of a lot of hats and scarves and mittens and jackets and everybody's wearing really beautifully made knitted clothing. Because they're way up north (laughs) and they're cold. (laughs) But um, one of my favorite parts of the mitten is when the hedgehog goes in and you see his little quills poking through the mitten and my children will be cracking up laughing, you know, at the bear going in and I like the detail and I like the realistic quality and very distinctive. If you see a rabbit, there's just a Jan Brett rabbit. There's just a style to how she does things. And that's what I really like. What my children like are the sidebars. And I'll be reading the story and they're almost exclusively paying attention to the sidebars. And in the mitten, the sidebars happen to be the next animal that's going to come in is shown. So on this page, there's a fox. And so on the next page, the fox tries to get in. It's like a mystery. And all of my children at one point figure it out. My three-year-old obviously hasn't figured it out yet, but I remember when my older ones would, it's like this aha moment and they get so excited and they have to stop the story and say, mom, mom, that animal's coming next because I figured it out and I figured out the algorithm. Beautiful. And they get so excited about it. And in her 12 days of Christmas, what they're doing is in the sidebars, it's a family getting ready for Christmas. So they're cutting down the Christmas tree and they're bringing it home and they're decorating it. But then also, I think it's all the pages. If not, it's a majority, but I think it's all of them. In the sidebars, it says Merry Christmas in a different language, which unique and clever. For someone who still will overlook pictures, I don't really overlook them too much in Jan Brett books. And I just buy her book without sight unseen and assume that if she illustrated it, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. I was going to tell, I wanted to tell this story. And this is, this is the effect of beautiful illustrations on me now as an adult, a kid's book having this effect on me, you know, around Christmas time, there's so much pressure to everything to be perfect and everyone to be happy and your house to look beautiful. Right. There's all this pressure. How I picked up a version of the night before Christmas. It's illustrated by Douglas Gorsling. I opened it up and I just realized (laughs) that life in all of its mess is beautiful. I love the illustrations in this book. I love them. Uh But But the house is not, has not been 
gone through by Marie Kondo, let's say. You okay. know, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. It's a mid it's like the 1940s style. It's full of plants and kids toys and Christmas decorations and they have at least 3 cats and a dog. It's full of beautiful things, but it's by Marie Kondo's standards quite cluttered. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that's not me. My house is not going to look like a photograph from a magazine. This is much more like what my life is like. I was living in a 100-year-old house, and it was full of children and beautiful things, but they were not titly arranged. <laughs> and it, was, it, it wasn't sort of Japanese minimalism by any stretch. And gosh darn it, it was okay because love was in my house. Just like in this in these beautiful illustrations by Douglas Gorsling. It really helped me to accept the beauty of my life. Yes. And it was just a kid's book. It was just well, a kid's book. And it was the old night before Christmas. That <laughs> <laughs> are important to kids, though, are the th- not the, th- the lessons that are important for kids to learn are the same lessons that are important for everyone to learn. Um, I think of your house. And it's probably the cleanest house I've ever been in. Um, I don't know how your children are, but my children are like, oh, I wish we were like normal families where there's never any laundry to do or where the dishes in the sink are always done. And my kids don't watch a ton of TV, but apparently this is the message that they're getting you know, through all these different things. And it's just like, same with Barbie dolls, you know, where we know that Barbie wouldn't be able to stand if she was a person because of her proportions, but children don't understand that. And so <laughs> I think that's beautiful that you learned it, but then also that your children are seeing imperfections. I don't know. I think that's beautiful. And, I, and that's what I think a good picture book is just a good book. Um, like it, it helped me accept the beauty of my life because here's a house that's full of so many beautiful things mm-hmm. to appreciate and to love. And I, I love the pictures and I love the style yeah. and I, and it just helped me realize, Hey, yeah. my life is beautiful <laughs> just as it is. And what better thing could a book teach you? <laughs> you know, love your it. life. Yes. <laughs> well, like gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. Gratitude. I wanted to tell you that since I listened to your first podcast, I have selected different books. My doctor's office has old library books there that they give out to people. Awesome version. Um, Mary Wore Her Red Dress by Merle Peak. Do you know that song? Yes, I do. And it's so cute. It's these animals and it starts out black and white. And then it has Mary wearing her red dress. And then red comes out in the pictures. And then the next page is Henry wearing his green sneakers. And so now all the red and green are in this picture until by the end of the book, all the colors are there because they've all been mentioned. And I never would have picked out that book two months ago. So we have that in our life. Thanks to you. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, one of my favorite illustrators is a lady named Susan Jeffers. She illustrated Robert Frost's poem, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. And we're talking about so many winter and Christmas books right now in yeah. this podcast. It's funny. It's just a gorgeous book. And at okay. the end, she has a reflection. I just want to read this to you. Mm-hmm. She writes, while I was growing up, snowstorms were highly anticipated events in my family. My mother's favorite thing to do was simply to walk outside and look. She was a painter, and my first painting lessons came from her. They were really lessons in looking. She Mm -hmm. would ask me, what is the color of the tree shadow? Is it blue? 
blue-green, violet, and what is the shape of the highlight on the copper tea kettle? Oval? Square? Diamond? She was teaching me to paint what I saw, not what I knew. What I knew could never be enough. I think we're, I mean, you and I aren't artists and Mm -hmm. we're not teaching our children to paint explicitly, but Mm -hmm. we're trying to give them books that help them see, illustrations that help them see and reflect, uh, to see themselves more deeply, to see the Mm -hmm. world more deeply um, and in new ways and, and to make connections between what they're reading and the concrete world around them. Yes. I don't know if I had read that quote before I started doing this, but I had this practice with my oldest child lucked out because I just had more time and consciousness. We, before we would sit down and do schoolwork, I would have her, I would have my oldest daughter look out the window and describe to me what she saw. And we would do it every time. What what is the color of the sky today? So every day, um, what's the weather like? What are the colors of things? So what's the color of the bark? Is it brown? Is it gray? Is it green? What's, the texture of the leaves, what's the amount and kind of clouds. And so she became very, very good at making observations. What's interesting to me about her is that she's always been a reading addict. And once she learned to read to herself, she's totally been a reading addict. Um, she reads especially historical fiction. And right now she's deep into the thick, long series of Redwall books. She also, though, loves science, and I wonder how much book illustrations and this kind of coaching on what she was seeing has shaped her, because she's one of the most sensitive observers. She's really good at making very sensitive observations. I think, I think that's part of the role that good illustrations play in the lives of our children, is to help them to see the world as it is, and as it is, is really marvelous and complex and beautiful. My kids often, when they're younger, will just lay in bed and look at pictures in books. And they need to be detailed in order to keep their attention there. But I just think of the hours that they spend staring at these pictures and how much they can learn and how much they can learn to notice. And I think as someone who isn't very visual and isn't visual to the point where I feel like it negatively impacts me. I think that's a great thing to help. Oh yeah. (laughs) Can I just say, I think it's amazing that they lay in bed and look at the illustrations for hours because we don't do that here as much as I wish I I could say that we do (laughs) because I think it's awesome. I think my six-year-old who actually turned seven tomorrow, um, She is one who still, when she lays in bed, she can read, she can read on her own, she can read silently. But when I ask her about, you know, what she's reading at night, she still says, no, I usually just lay in bed and look at the pictures. Um, It's probably really calming and restful. Yes. Probably more so than reading. And definitely more so than reading at six when it's still work. work. Yeah. Um, It can just be a purely pleasurable experience. And it's still an important experience because that's how they learn through story isn't just through the words. They learn how stories are structured based on the illustrations, which is why an important step in the reading, learning to read process is learning 
to tell stories on your own based off of the pictures. Right. To retell the story from the pictures. Yes. So yeah, I think that's, you know, great that you did that with your daughter and just a gift, the gift of helping someone learn to observe. You know, I can't think of very many things more valuable just as a life. I want to say life skill, but that makes it sound like a way of being. Right, yes, to be educated in a way of being in the world. I think we, by giving them books with illustrations that are beautiful or illustrations that draw them in to the kind of story, we're deepening our, deepening our children's ability to notice, to meditate, yes. to appreciate, to contemplate. Mm-hmm. And you see that with the way that the sheer amount of time that she could spend mm-hmm. just looking at two books, you're saying. This level of noticing and appreciating and seeing more deeply isn't just, I think, I think it's not just for kids who are literature kids. Who I think mm-hmm. being able to propose books with great illustrations to our children help them also to be better, not just more interested in literature, because what if you don't have, like, what if your kid's interested yeah. in science? <laughs> I think um, it's not, it's not just, (laughs) you can get genius level powers of observation Mm -hmm. that apply kind of in all circumstances, right? You want, Mm -hmm. you're going to notice more of what's happening, what's really happening in physics, not just what the, the law says you're supposed to be observing in physics. If you're, if you're the kind of person who grew up seeing what's really there and not Mm -hmm. just what someone tells you to see noticing detail. I don't even know where I heard this story, but about a man, I believe it was, who wanted to be a scientist and he was told to just look and look and look and look and look. And then it was some kind of apprenticeship with this master scientist and the kid thought his time was being wasted. And what the teacher was trying to teach him is that in order to be a scientist, you have to be able to look and see the details. And that's what the pictures are doing. That's what the complex vocabulary is doing. The new words, fancy Nancy's fancy words. They're <laughs> all just teaching kids to be aware of everything that's around them so that they can be in tune to the physical world. And also if you're in tune to the physical world, you're going to be more in tune to the emotional and the spiritual world as well. I think. So we've talked about what makes illustrations great. Some of that is detail. What else makes illustrations great, I think, are representations that help to unpack the meaning of the story. They can Mm -hmm. offer even a subplot or another dimension to the main narrative. So one of your favorites is Jan Brett, and I was talking about Trina Hyman. Another illustrator that I really like is Demi. She does biographies of a lot of different characters throughout history. Gandhi, Muhammad, Jesus, Mary, Joan of Arc. And she has less detail, but there's a very intentional simplicity, a simplicity that points toward meaning. Symbolism that's almost iconographic. I really like Demi a lot. And so some kids, I think, probably like illustrators that are more detailed, like Mm -hmm. Barbara McClintock and Jan Brett, Trina Schott-Hyman. But 
I think sometimes it helps to back off from all the detail and just have more simple illustrations that still point towards and unpack the meaning of the story. I teach part-time, I teach Chinese children online, I teach them English. And with those, if I bring in a book, sometimes I'll read them books online. And the simple illustrations then are kind of key because you're pointing out vocabulary. And if the page is too complicated, the meaning gets lost. And I think that can be the case with really young toddlers as well. Give us a few of your favorite illustrators that are in your stack of books there. Uh, so Jan Brett and Jan the Paparaki. Paparaki. We didn't talk about, but I would say Maurice Sendak okay. is on that list. Aaron Easted, who illustrated A Sick Day for Amos McGee. I love that book. And they're just really sweet pictures. Yeah. None of my kids are quite at the perfect age for that book right now. They kind of are on either edge of that but so I would say those are my favorite and then the the mother goose is Margaret Evans Price and I know I've seen her before I can't think of what other titles right now but I'm sure there's other ones that she's written that we have that I like because I recognize the name as soon as I saw it there some of my favorites are Susan Jeffers Jim LaMarche is another favorite wrote <laughs> The Raft and The Pond everything he illustrates is gorgeous I really wish I could interview him Especially on the raft and the pond. They're just gorgeous. One of my favorite other male illustrators is Jerry Pinckney. He does a lot of watercolor. A lot of his figures are African-American. They're really full of expression and strength and movement. And I think they're, especially because of that, they're particularly appealing to boys. And then um, I like Trina Schartheimen, St. George and the Dragon. You might know that. Heard of it. I think I saw your copy maybe once. Now, that is a book that completely preoccupied me when I was probably in third grade. Oh. I memorized the pictures. I probably looked at it for an hour. Okay. And when I rediscovered it as an, as an adult, I went crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> They're so beautiful. So when I discovered, rediscovered St. George and the Dragon, this version by Trina Schardt-Hyman, when I rediscovered it as an adult, it was mm-hmm. like seeing a childhood friend or being able to redream the really beautiful glorious dream just I couldn't believe it was in my hands and real again for me the figures in it are very graceful elongated kind of like the painter El Greco who has really long necks and arms so the the figures are a little flowing and they have really luminous eyes my favorite artist is Filippo Lippi they've got these large luminous eyes it's painted okay. too and and the saint george and the dragon figures have these large luminous eyes i also like that the style and the color are kind of like illustrated manuscripts okay. from the middle ages or tapestries oh yeah and they're similar to jan brett they have panels at the edges of the page that give more depth to the story sometimes it, they look like windows and sometimes they have flowers that are like almost like embroidery Okay. Oh, I love anything embroidery or knitting. Textiles? You like textiles? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. She does another similar time period book called The Kitchen Night. My son loves that book. It has so much about character. So he, The Kitchen Night, is actually a man of great quality. But the knights of the round table, one of them, 
rejects him because he volunteers to work in King Arthur's kitchen and another one treats him very well. And then okay. he asks to be sent out on a mission to rescue a girl from imprisonment from the Red Knight. He proves his mettle through the way that he treats this uh, badly behaving lady who's leading okay. him to rescue her sister. He, he treats her with great nobility, even though she treats him like the scullery boy okay. <laughs> that she thinks he is. And you see him in these illustrations. So it's just so cool. So she illustrates him fighting in battle and underneath his armor, he's still wearing his kitchen apron, his leather kitchen apron. I love that. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a story about recognizing who your real friends are and recognizing character and nobility where you find it rather than in appearances. Okay. And my son loves it. Um, (laughs) Because it has fighting yeah, guys well, in I it. Think just hearing you talk about it, it's going to be cool in 30 years when those are his memories oh. of his childhood. Like when you were talking about how you felt when you rediscovered St. George and the Dragon and how you got so excited and it was this, I don't know, this tie to your childhood. Yes. That that's the same things you are developing right now with your kids. This isn't illustrations, but I've, we've been reading now the Little House on the Prairie series for a long time. And I was reading last night to my kids. And for some reason, I just had this brief like flashback to looking at the copy of it we had as a child when I was a child. And it, they were the blue, I don't know if you've seen them, they're the blue covers and the Garth Williams illustrations, obviously. And I could all of a sudden, I could smell them and I could feel like I could almost feel it in my hands. And it was just this flashback to 1980, whatever. (laughs) And that's what we're developing for our children now. And I think people who live in households where we really center things around books, those are the ties that they're going to have. And that's why it matters that they're good books. (laughs) Well, turns out that beautiful, excellent illustrations matter a lot. Illustrations can be for, I think we talked about how illustrations can be for our pre-reading or our listening children, what deep reading experience can be for the adult. It's kind of this both uh, work and deep rest. Great illustrations can grant a child access to a deep emotional and spiritual experience. You pointed out. Amanda and the and they can kind of then experience empathetically what the characters are undergoing. And they, they can kind of have access to something that they wouldn't have access to. They, they wouldn't understand what gratitude or shame would be if you just explained this character feels ashamed or this character mm-hmm. is grateful or relieved. Yes, it gives them that into a world that they can't understand verbally. Yeah. I agree with that. And beautiful illustrations almost always correspond to good writing. Yeah. Mandy, I want to thank you so much for coming on Bright Wings and talking about children's book illustrations and what difference the good ones can make. I'm really, really happy to be able to talk to you about this today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Did we talk about just the joy of 
pictures because I was thinking about that. Um, have you read I Am Bunny by Ulrissum and Richard Scarry? Yes. Okay. We've read that book like 7,000 times. I am a, it's um, I am a bunny, right? Yeah. Yes, it is. My name is Nicholas. I live in a hollow tree. We, I, that's like a legend in my family of origin. That's it, it is. We got it when Grace was, I don't know, probably about two. Um, my sister-in-law gave it to me. And my kids are obsessed with it. And I was reading it just about an hour ago before bed. And like we blow the seeds when the seeds go scattering. And we pick the strawberries in the book and we pretend to eat them. And we... Um, Always pick which butterflies are favorite. I chase the butterflies. Yes, and, and the, the butterflies, butterflies chase me. <laughs> yeah, we were. My big brother that. quoted that when he was like forty-five. Really? <laughs> yes. I think I might have tried to quote it before when I was teaching. Um, Thinking it that it was like in everyone's mind. Yeah, everyone yes. knows that. Yeah, we were reading that, and then we were reading. The Very Hungry Caterpillar, which has never been one of my favorites. I noticed today that I think the reason Rose likes it, which is probably why all my kids like it, is just because it's a it's funny. And, you know, they can stick their fingers. We have the board book version. I don't know if they're all board books. And they can stick their holes, their fingers in the holes. Did we talk about just like fun? 